college basketball got going in a big way last week. Virginia Tech pulled another big November upset. UVA's basketball team, it was the victim of an upset, while its football team traveled all the way to Tallahassee to basically lounge by the pool. (laughs) All that and Aaron McFarling's puppy chow this week on Teal and Barber. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, and the man I just cast my NASMA ballot for sports writer <laughs> of the year for Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? Mike, we'll just vote for each other, right? <laughs> are we canceling each other out this year? <laughs> well, David, I wanted to ask before we jump into the sports, we, we talked last week about your Thanksgiving plans. How, how did it all turn out? Turned out great. And we had a nice uh, small for us gathering and plenty of food and the little ones behaved and uh (laughs) and and the good thing was it was nice weather you know you could go out for a walk afterward and get some fresh air and uh shed some of those extra calories much needed what what is your favorite of all the ways to use turkey after thanksgiving all the leftovers is there is there anything you do in the teal family uh that you particularly like with the leftovers i'll tell you what my mom used to do that when i was a kid i really craved she would make turkey tetrazzini Mm. and man it rocked i'm not that clever or, or or that ambitious i just throw it between two slices of bread now and i'm happy <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that we were always big uh turkey a la king and uh i made a, a big thing this morning of, of turkey salads for our lunches for the rest of the week and i think we're going to get ambitious this year and and try turkey empanadas at some point um that's assuming that there's any turkey left after i was gonna tonight. say that must have been some big bird dude well we remember we had the two we had yes. the thursday turkey that and the leftover was there part of them went to the neighbors um they were a little older couple they didn't have family over this year and uh they weren't doing a turkey so we we sent about half a turkey and some sides over to them on, on thanksgiving so that they would have that and uh, the second one was 22 23 pounds so um just for my little family here wife and two kids mm-hmm. we have plenty plenty of turkey to work with um we'll see what's left tonight is taco tuesday and while i'm at the uva basketball game they're going to be having turkey tacos so we'll we'll see what's left when i get back <laughs> now so i mentioned i'm going to uva basketball tonight it's it's tuesday as we record this david college basketball got going in a big way here in virginia uh, upset wins by tech in richmond pretty stunning upset loss for uva it's gonna be a lot of that we can talk about today i want to start though with football and let's start with kind of incidentally a, a uva game that didn't happen <laughs> Virginia, they flew to Tallahassee on Friday night. They were scheduled to play the Seminoles uh, on Saturday. Instead, they woke up to the news that contact tracing for COVID had forced the game to be postponed. The Seminoles didn't have uh, the strong enough, full enough roster to play. UVA's players told us on Monday that they spent the day at the hotel pool and some even got a lift in 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 the hotel weight room before they flew back home. Now, what irked Bronco Mendenhall was the fact that ACC protocols essentially put his team and Florida State, he felt, in a no-win situation. The Seminoles had to be tested Friday. They had to use a third-party testing company, and then they didn't get their results back until Friday night. 
Those results included a positive in the morning. They went through contact tracing, and that's what left them unable to play. You know, For Virginia, it's, all of this comes after Bronco and the team waited to fly to Florida until it had its own results to make sure it wasn't the reason for a last-minute cancellation. Now, Bronco made it clear he doesn't blame Florida State, but he does blame those ACC protocols. Here's what he had to say. We waited until after 6 p.m. on Friday to ensure all of our results were back and all were negative. And it doesn't seem like too much to ask for anyone that's playing in college football to have uh, their tests in and report it negative before the opponent gets on the airplane to leave. David, he's absolutely right, no? Yeah. Oh, he's he's 100% correct, Mike. But let's remember, you know, it's an ACC plan. But who put this plan in place. This was the ACC Medical Advisory Group, which is made up of the chief medical officers of the 15 institutions, and it was then approved by the presidents. So if Bronco has a problem with this, he needs to go to his medical team and go to his president and find out why it was planned this way. It you know, it, it's this is an imperfect season. No protocol is perfect. And for 70 games in more than two months, the ACC got away with this. <laughs> but using a third party, using a PCR test instead of the more rapid antigen test for the final pregame assessment, that is part of it. But this, according to the ACC medical people, was the best way to assure that everyone on that field, presuming the game is on Saturday, they want to test them Friday, you get the results back when you do, and then you move on. Is, is it the way I would do it? Probably not. And, and I think I'd change it before the end of the season. You look at this week's schedule, most if not every game involves a team getting on an airplane. Boston College is going to get on an airplane to come to, to UVA. And, you know, pre- presumably Clemson will get on an airplane to, to go to Blacksburg, although that, that could be, a, a, I guess, a bus trip for them. But, you know, Georgia Tech has to travel up to, to Raleigh. Uh, these teams should know before they get on that plane, that both teams are clear. Now, what's interesting, because David, you said this probably isn't the way you would do it, but I look at some of the options. And if you went with the antigen test on Friday, that's the one that seems to produce more of the, what we call the false negatives. And, and, and I think positives and false positives. So either way, I understand, as I look at this, I understand the thinking every step of the way. And I think it comes down to the number one goal here, and you you made this point, was to make sure that people p- playing didn't have and didn't spread the virus. Um, I don't think that the number one concern of the medical people was a team flying somewhere mm-hmm. and not getting to play. Now, that being said, yeah. it goes back to conversations you and I had months ago as they were formulating this plan. And to me, scheduling-wise, eliminating flights should have been a much higher priority b- because I don't think you can do things safely and also, you know, fulfill all the things on the football side to make sure that a team that showed up Friday night can play. To me, I think they should have eliminated flights. Was that not realistic? It wasn't with, with just the geography of the conference, unless you wanted to to do it in real, real tight geographic pods and play people more than once. <laughs> a lot and, of 
Boston College Syracuse on our schedule. Yeah, well, and a, and a lot of UVA Duke and UVA and Virginia Tech could have played multiple times if if that's the way they they wanted to to arrange it, and it was considered. It it, it absolutely was, but you know you've got Notre Dame out mm-hmm. there. Notre Dame has to fly for all of its road ACC road games and. Conversely, everyone has to fly to, to Notre Dame unless they want to take really lengthy bus trips. And and really, Mike, what you know, what's the difference between hopping on a charter and chartering a bunch of buses? I, I mean, you're you're still out there in, in the public domain, and there there just is no ideal way. Yeah, it's been an interesting year. The fact that they've made it this far, I think, is miraculous. Virginia has been one of the better teams in the league and in the nation in avoiding COVID issues. Absolutely. Uh, their opponent this weekend, <laughs> Boston. If there was, well, we'll talk to Aaron McFarling about betting and point spreads later. But if there was a best bet for a game to be played, David, you got to like Virginia and Boston College, right? Right. I mean, Mike, it, it, it's it's beyond remarkable that. Boston College brought its football team back to campus in June <laughs> and has not had, according to them, has not had a positive test. More than 5,000 tests, I believe it is, since June, and not a single athlete on that team has popped positive. That's, that's an amazing stroke of luck, and it, but it also speaks to amazing discipline and protocol in Chestnut Hill. Yeah, I think it's always important to remember that you can do everything right mm-hmm. and still end up positive. But if you do things wrong, chances are you're going to end up positive. So teams that have had the success are doing everything right. And you're right, though. There there also is a measure of, of good luck there. And hopefully for, for all of our sakes, it'll continue through this weekend. Now, David, I'm curious on the field about Boston College, because I don't know in my time if I've seen as rapid a change <laughs> in identity. I mean, Boston College, you close your eyes. Those are 320-pound linemen, and they're running behind a fullback. It's that pro-style power run game. They're going to cram it down your throat. And now here they are, and, and obviously a new coach and a new quarterback, but this is a very, very pass-driven offense. Why has it worked so quickly? Well, I think you start with Phil Jerkovic, the transfer quarterback from Notre Dame, You know, he, where he quickly discovered that he wasn't going to be able to unseat Ian Book and transferred to to BC, got his waiver, and Jeff Halfley came in and hired Frank Signetti as as offensive coordinator. Halfley came from the defensive side at Ohio State, and the combination has worked really well. Now, Dracovic dinged the knee uh, in last week's victory over Louisville, and I was on a – Zoom with uh, Coach Halfley on Sunday morning, and he didn't reveal much. He was scheduled to perhaps reveal a little bit more this afternoon. I don't, I'm not sure what, what what the outcome will be there. But Dennis Grossell, the backup, played a good bit of the second half against Louisville and, and, and threw, uh, again, in keeping it with, with the pass theme, a couple of touchdown passes against the Cardinals as, as, as BC held on uh, for its sixth win. This was a team that was picked 14th 
in the league in, in, in preseason. And Jeff Halfley, I don't know if he will win ACC Coach of the Year, but he's certainly in the conversation. Yeah, and you know, you've been saying going back a few weeks now that of these games here down the stretch that this might be one of the harder or the hardest that was left for UVA as we Mm -hmm. talked about them maybe winning out, maybe finishing with a winning record. Now I'm looking at a Virginia defense that doesn't have Charles Snowden. It doesn't have Juwan Briggs. It doesn't have Richard Burney. And it doesn't sound like it's going to get Joey Blunt or Brent Nelson, the two safeties back this week. How big a challenge will this be? Yeah, I, I think you just outlined it, man. I mean, there's five cats that you would really like to have on defense uh, on Saturday, and they will not be available. And, you know, you, you, you might think, oh, but it's senior day, and there'll be all this emotion in the crowd. Oh, no. <laughs> and it, it, I feel all of us, Mike, have had our lives just completely turned upside down by the pandemic but i think of the young people mm-hmm. and and the, the graduation ceremonies and the proms and now the the, the senior days that they're missing out on and hey, hey at least they're getting to have a game and there'll be virtual presentations on the scoreboard and maybe a family member or two in the stands but we were on a zoom just this morning with Devonte Cross, the senior quarterback for Virginia, and he said, "Yeah, it's going to be so so strange to have Senior Day in front of essentially no one." Yeah, I mean, we saw that right at Pittsburgh with the mm-hmm. uh, on the screen. You're in Heinz Field. You're in this huge stadium, and you know hardly any people there. And you can't have that moment where mom walks you onto the field or mom, dad, and siblings are out there together. And um, I give credit to these schools, their athletic departments, um, their sports information departments. I know in a lot of places are involved. The the production of, hey, what are we going to do on game day to give these kids? Because yeah, the thing they want more than anything is to play football and, and everybody has busted their tail to make that happen. But a lot of people have put in a lot of good work to make it feel kind of normal uh, or as normal as you can get. Yeah, they they really have the the, the creative teams at, at, at these schools have gone ab- above and beyond. You know, much like the medical staffs. I mean, this mm-hmm. has truly been department wide, campus wide efforts across the country, and especially here in the ACC, as as these institutions have attempted to provide these young people with a competitive outlet, and they're fans and donors and and boosters with something to watch. I think it was the first week of the season I did a story on kind of behind the scenes at Virginia Tech, how they were putting the game day atmosphere together. And uh, I asked a couple of the employees there, I said, hey, I said, I know this has got to be stressful. I said, but is it is it kind of cool to be challenged creatively on on this level? And I think all of everybody I talked to, their answer was kind of like, looking back on it, it'll probably seem cool. But right yeah. now, <laughs> it's a lot of stress and pressure. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech's done a nice job off the field. On the field, David, a little bit rocky. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they're coming off the scheduled off week. They had the open date. And boy, now they get Clemson in prime time on Saturday night. Um, before we get in, in, into that, they got some more big news uh, on Monday. Quarterback Quincy Patterson, who was a big-time recruit 
right? He emerged, became a name after that Elite 11 quarterback camp. He's had some big moments. Think about starting the Notre Dame game. Think about his role in that in North Carolina oh, win. Game, right? Yeah, huge. Uh, he announced that he's transferring out of the program. David, what do you make of that? It's not surprising, Mike. I mean, you knew at least one of the quarterbacks among Quincy Patterson, Hendon Hooker, and Braxton Burmeister was likely to transfer. It's just the way of the world. Quarterbacks want to be on the field. And Patterson has not played much. Ironically, the Pittsburgh game was one of the first times this season, one of the only times where we we got to see him in a more extended role. But as it turns out, that was because Hooker had had dinged himself on, on the hand. And then on top of that, Patterson injures his thumb, which contributed to the timing of, of yesterday's announcement. Justin Fuente told us it looked unlikely that Quincy would be able to play for the remainder of the season. So why not start the transfer process now? And, you know, Mike, we've all seen and heard head coaches talk about athletes transferring from their program. I don't know that I've ever heard a coach praise one quite as much as Justin Fuente did Quincy Patterson. This truly, and then to read Patterson's social media posts, this truly seems to be an amicable party. Yeah, remarkably. And I'm glad you brought that up because people will criticize Justin Fuente for the transfers. There, there are a couple other receivers that, you know, that weren't being used. Uh, they're transferring out. But the Quincy Patterson deal here, he's leaving Virginia Tech with a very high opinion of Justin Fuente. And Justin Fuente maintains a very high opinion of him. I think that's important. And I think it's important not just because of the criticism Justin takes, but for other quarterbacks coming in. Hey, there's not this disgruntled guy running around out there that had a horrible experience. And there isn't this coach that people can point to and say, look at his relationship with quarterbacks. If anything, this tells you, hey, go play for Justin Fuente. He's going to do his best to try to develop you. And if it doesn't work out, he's going to help you with your next step. Remember Quincy Patterson, he blew up with that Elite 11 camp, right? Right. But he was raw, raw, raw. Extremely. He's the definition of a project. So Mm -hmm. had Virginia Tech had a little more trouble at quarterback, if Braxton Burmeister hadn't transferred from Oregon, maybe Quincy Patterson is still there. Maybe his development is fast-tracked. So I don't know. I, I don't see, I know fans get upset with these things. I don't see the negative here. I see a team that brought in an athlete, tried to turn him into a, a big-time quarterback. He made some good development, made some strides, didn't quite get where he wanted to be, where they wanted him to be, and so he goes somewhere else to play. This, to me, seems like the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, and the amicable parting, Mike, will help Patterson as he searches for a new school because Fuente made it clear yesterday that any school – that calls him in regard to Quincy Patterson is going to get a most glowing recommendation. Yeah. And again, pop on the film from the Notre Dame game, which was very competitive. Pop on the film from the Carolina game that he played such a huge role uh, coming in late. There are glimpses of Quincy Patterson being a very effective at a high level. I'm not talking about 
going down where he could maybe be a star at, mm-hmm. at the power five level. He's shown some ability. So somebody's going to take a chance on Quincy Patterson and uh, it'll be interesting to see what he develops into. He won't be part of the game Saturday night against Clemson. <laughs> Not that that would have made a difference or moved our opinion. David, do we give the Hokies any shot against Clemson Saturday night? No, just no, because I mean, Clemson has everything to play. I mean, I know Virginia tech has things to play for, but Clemson is playing for a college football playoff spot and a spot in the ACC championship game. Lose to Virginia Tech and all of Clemson's preseason goals are done. Conference championship, playoff, national championship, in almost certainty. Those those goals would be off the table should the Tigers lose. I I can't imagine. I mean, the the, the talent discrepancy is clear. I mean, Virginia Tech. Just the week pre- previous, we saw the Hokies get worked <laughs> at Pittsburgh. Then seven days later, we turn on our TV, and midway through the second quarter, Clemson is ahead of Pitt, thirty-one nothing. I mean, the the Tigers are really good and they're really motivated. And I mean, the one thing Virginia Tech has going for is last week's open date, because tell you what, Mike, we were talking about Boston College earlier. There's only two teams in the country this season that played nine consecutive weeks, Mm -hmm. Virginia Tech and Boston College. That's unusual in a normal season that's extraordinary in the midst of a pandemic yeah this this was a team that you know we always talk about it's a sort of a cliche sports writer story did the bye week come at a good time and mm-hmm. uh, i thought this team needed an open date i, I thought this team needed not just the emotional of, of the losing and, and some of that but you're right physically just to recoup and it was interesting talking to uh, jared hewitt the defensive tackle today i right. i asked him i said how do you upset clemson what do you have to do to slow down that offense specifically. And he talked about what you know, Notre Dame, obviously, and Notre Dame has a little more talent, but what they were able to do along the trenches with their defensive line, the physical play, how that kind of set the tone. And um, Clemson has a really, really good pro prospect full offensive line. Virginia Tech has a better chance to hold its own up front with those defensive linemen at Tech being rested. Yeah, no, no question. And... Uh... But Travis Etienne is the wild card, both out of the backfield as a receiver and obviously as a running back. And Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in ACC history and one of the best to ever lace him up in college football. Uh, that's that's difficult to defend whether you're rested or not. Yeah, some of the, the worst things that have happened to Virginia Tech in terms of this matchup, Trevor Lawrence missing those games with COVID. Mm-hmm. He's got some numbers he wants to put up to remind people where he believes maybe he should rank in the Heisman voting. And you pointed out, hey, because of the Notre Dame loss, Clemson mm-hmm. has no margin for error. So right. the idea that they might take the weekend off, this isn't going to be that weekend. <laughs> Notre mm-hmm. Dame has taken that away. So, yeah, there's there's really very little I see here in, in Tech's favor other than being presumably well-rested. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tall chore. I believe there are three touchdown-plus underdogs, and that, that I don't think that surprises anyone. Uh, but but I'm, really, I, I'm, I'm interested to see the fight in Tech on Saturday, Mike, you know, it's, it's earlier losses to, to Carolina and Liberty and, and Miami, you know, those games were, were really competitive. The pit game 
was not by any stretch. And yeah, Clemson can make you look bad, but I'm really interested to see the fight in in the Hokies on Saturday. And I'm, and I'm also curious to see you know, how, how they approach third down, because as, <laughs> as, as we've talked to Justin Fuente and others this week, they, they got an issue now. When, when, you're, when you're 13th out of a 15-team league in third down conversions and trending to the program's worst conversion rate in seven years, you got to figure out some things on third down, and that's, uh, that's up to Brad Cornelson. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I know the fans that have defended Cornelson point to their generally positive offensive statistics, mm-hmm. their yards per game and yards per play, things like that. So to me, the fact that they're not getting it done on third down, that does point directly to play calling. I mean, if yeah. you're telling me this is an offense that can move the football, but they can't do it on third down, to me, that's more about play calling than some of the other stuff. Um, the other thing that's going to be interesting on that point, David, is Quincy Patterson was kind of the go-to third and short guy. Um, I know the fans didn't like it, but more times than not, in third and short, Virginia Tech lined up in the shotgun with Quincy Patterson at quarterback, and more times than not, they they ran him. Uh, They're going to have to find a different go-to play, I would think, in those situations, although Hendon Hooker is certainly capable of that. Yeah, they've they've been running Hooker a lot in in, in those situations, and it, it hasn't been working. And you know, the the thinking has been okay. We've got third and six at the opponent's thirty five. Let's run Hooker, get four or five yards, make it fourth and manageable. Well, that hasn't worked. Uh, they, they're not getting the first downs. Then they're either missing a field goal or punting or failing to convert fourth down. I mean, it's, it's just been a mess. And as you mentioned, Virginia Tech trails only North Carolina among ACC teams in yards per play. That's pretty good. And they're averaging 33 points a game. And of the five teams ranked ahead of them in the ACC in scoring offense, four of them are in the college football playoffs top 25, including Clemson, Notre Dame, and Miami, mm-hmm. which are all top 10. So you're in you're in pretty stout company there. But in, in, in this season where the margin for error is so thin, especially with, with a defense that has had more than its fair share of hiccups, you, you've got to be pretty pristine in all areas and haven't, haven't been that way on third down. Well, Vegas has the Hokies as a 22-point underdog at home. UVA is about a six-point favorite against Boston College. Are either of those going to be good bets? Let's ask our good friend, Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times. As he does each week, Aaron joins us for his segment, AMAX Puppy Chow. Aaron, how are you? I'm good, brother. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving and uh, ready to get back to work here. I did. What was the highlight of, of the McFarling family Thanksgiving? You know, I had the Washington football team on that uh, that afternoon game, and that was a pretty comfortable cover there. That was pretty nice. But yeah, I mean, it was it was low key with the family, you know, being limited to just our immediate family. But it was it was nice. The wife made a very nice dinner and uh, enjoyed ourselves. It was nice not to have to think about Tech UVA during Thanksgiving <laughs> for once. Yeah, that was, you know, it was funny. I, I was talking to my wife about why why does everything seem so relaxed as we're preparing a turkey and all the sides. And I think you're right. It's the fact that we're usually in the middle of like our most intense week. Yeah. Um, and this time we didn't have that. So, all right. 
Each week, you're going to give us your best bet in the ACC. You're going to give us an upset special from somewhere in the country, and you're going to weigh in on the locals. And So let's do it. Let, let's get to the chow, shall we? You have an upset you love this week? Yeah, I'm going to go to the MAC. Uh, we hit our upset last week with Stanford, although by the end of that, uh, Stanford was a slight favorite, so it wasn't a true upset by the end of it. But uh, this should be. I'm going to take Miami, Ohio over Kent State. This should be a very high-scoring game. Both these offenses are solid. Um, Kent State's a three-point shock, but Miami of Ohio has been very good in this series. Uh, they're on a 5-1 and one against the spread run and, and home games, 16-5 and five against the spread in their past 21 MAC games. The Golden Flashes um, you know, have, been, have been impressive so far this season, but the underdog's been a good bet in this series, 4-1 uh, and one in the last five meetings between these two teams. So I'm going to figure this will be one of those where they just trade points all day long, and in the end, Miami will get it done at home, 40-35. to 35. Maybe the most normal thing during this pandemic has been high scoring and wild finishes in with the action, the midweek games. I think that's that's the most normal college football thing we have right now. No doubt, and I believe this game is a Saturday game, so it's not a it's not a true midweek wacky action <laughs> game. But uh, hopefully, it'll cover nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, how about a best bet in the conference in the in the ACC? What do you like? Not much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'm sure we're going to talk about Clemson, Virginia Tech. I mean, I, I like Clemson here. I mean, I don't know how the Hokies are going to solidify things. I mean, we've, we've talked before about how the Hokies have been good after losses, but that's kind of gone by the wayside this year, kind of like it did in 2018. And, the, you know, they get they get some respect for, at home from from the odds makers, but I don't see it. I mean, when I, you know, we, we go to these games, and I just don't see any any tangible difference between – how they really perform in Lane Stadium and how they are on the road. So if I'm going to give you a best bet, unfortunately for, for Tech fans, I, and, and they may agree with me here like they have in the past because of the way they feel right now, but I'm going to take Clemson and lay the 22. I mean, it just feels like you, you know the Tigers still have to keep making statements you know, to, to prove that, that they belong in the playoff. I think most people think they do, but um, you know, if you squeak by the Hokies, maybe there's some doubt there. I think they'll – They'll get it done very handily here. 52-21 is my pick for that game. Yeah, you you mentioned the idea of the the beauty pageant there for Clemson to, to not just win, but win big and win convincingly, win impressively. I'm curious if it factors in when you're thinking about a team covering. Trevor Lawrence missed a couple games. He's still a Heisman candidate. In terms of piling up the numbers, he's got less chances now to pile up those numbers that, that really open up the eyes of Heisman voters. Does that weigh in at all, or, or is that too abstract as you're thinking about these games? No, it's a great point, Mike. I didn't think of that, but yeah, sure. I mean, I'm a Heisman voter, and certainly I'll be watching what he does uh, to, you know, individually as well as, as what their team does. I think the greater factor here is I just don't see any weaknesses on this on this Clemson team. They haven't been a good team against the number this year. They're they're identical to the Hokies in fact against the spread 3 and 6. <laughs> but um, they covered last week and uh, and they I think I think they're going to cover again. I mean I, I I just don't see much resistance right now from from this Virginia Tech team. I I, I gave them a pass uh, for 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 Liberty when most people didn't uh, just because I, I saw some good things with the offense there. Uh, same with Miami. I saw some good things, strides made with the defense there. So uh, while you know, not excusing the loss, I, I am saying, look, there are some things to build on here. What we saw at Pittsburgh was there was nothing good about that. And um, I, I, you just wonder 
if if it's all really going to fall apart here down the stretch, if they lose this game, then the, you know then they got their rivals, which I'm sure we'll talk about next week. But um, it, it has a chance to get very very ugly in Blacksburg these last two weeks. Yeah, it certainly does. And speaking of that rival, UVA, they're they're about a touchdown. I think a six point favorite uh, at home against Boston College. This is a much improved Boston College team in one year under Jeff Halfley. They've changed the offensive identity of this club. They've had some success. They've had great success staying healthy uh, in terms of the COVID stuff. What do you think about that line? Yeah, and the irony is, you know, the Hokies blitzed <laughs> Boston College. Uh, you know I've been a big BC guy. I mean, they're covering machine in the conference, uh, and I, I still like them. But I've also been high on Virginia in recent weeks, and that's paid off. They're 4-0 against the spread their last four games. When they actually get to play games, uh, they're covering. So it's kind of a, you know – something's got to give type of situation here. And I'm going to, I'm going to say Virginia wins. I'm going to kind of hedge. I'm going to say Virginia wins, but doesn't cover, which is a hard, hard number to hit. But uh, I'm going to say they win by five, 35, 30, which would make uh, Boston college the, the winner uh, with the betting. But uh, Virginia would get the win. It really craves, which is just the, the standings victory. So everybody gets a little something out of out of Saturday. Right. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. That was Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times and his segment, A Max Puppy Chow. Since we're talking upsets, let's get into college basketball and let's talk about an opening week that saw some big time upsets, David, around the Commonwealth. Let's yeah. start with the the good. Right. Let's start on the good side of things. And that was Virginia Tech. Mike Young's team is bigger, deeper, more experienced, and it's open the year three and oh. The middle of those games was an overtime upset win against number three Villanova. It's the second straight year that Young's team has beaten the number three team in, in November. You asked him about that early success and the prospect of being ranked in the top 25, which on Monday he found out he was. His team checked in at number 16. Here's Mike's answer. Uh, Dave, you know, um, I'd be happy about that, but goodness gracious, with everything going on and uh, three games in, um, you know, uh, don't get too fat and happy. Uh, you'll get a baseball bat across the kneecaps. You know that. Not, not in this, not in this business. Uh, you better keep your head down and uh, keep chopping wood, and that's what we intend to do. I, I love Mike Young. I love every Mike Young answer to every question ever. Also, for the record, uh, too fat and happy is the working title of my memoir, so that that answer resonated with me. But. David, I get his point. You know, let's yeah. not get carried away. Let's not put anybody in the final four. But man, things look good with this program right now. Yeah, and you know, if 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 he wants a perfect example of how hey, a three and zero start doesn't always translate, just go back to last season when <laughs> you know they they got off to such an encouraging start, beat Michigan State in in Maui, and then won a bunch of ACC games early, but tailed off late because they just simply ran out of gas. Uh, talk about a team that needed an open date. <laughs> that was for, for Virginia Tech basketball coming down the stretch last year. But Mike, it, it, as you noted, this team, this roster is different because of the influx of transfers. They are older and more experienced and taller and stronger. And what was remarkable to me about a couple things about the Villanova game, you know, they, they worked the Wildcats on the glass mm -hmm. and they outscored them by 10 in the paint and only three times last year in 21 ACC games. If you also count the tournament 
Only three times did Virginia Tech out-rebound an ACC team. And only seven times did the Hokies outscore someone on in the paint. So to, to do both of those things against an elite, elite program, such as Jay Wright's Villanova squad, that was really impressive. And the other thing that was impressive to me was, and I'm sure most, if not all, our listeners are, are aware of how things went down at the end of regulation <laughs> and, and, a, and a very sketchy whistle. You know, that sequence, a less mature team, that would have rattled and or deflated them and overtime would have been not good. But instead, it almost seemed to motivate and energize the Hokies. Justin Mutz comes out and scores the first five points in the extra session, and they're off and running and and win kind of comfortably at, at the end. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I thought about this game a lot as it compared to Michigan State last year. Um, and not to take anything away, the Michigan State upset was was huge last year. Um, but it felt when they beat Michigan State like Mike Young and that team had done a great job getting ready for that game to win that night and to upset Michigan State. And all credit to them for doing that. The win against Villanova didn't feel that way to me. It felt like Mike Young and Virginia Tech was a much, much better basketball team and was in position to beat and upset Villanova because they're good, not because they had a great game plan or because they had a great night. I, I didn't come away thinking that, wow, that's that's going to be as high as it goes for Virginia Tech this year. I came away thinking, wow, that's a really good basketball team. And to your point about the overtime, I thought when it went to overtime, that might be where it slips away, right? Because Villanova... Mm-hmm is a better, more established program. That's just a fact. And over time, sometimes teams fight so hard to get there and and then to get there in the quirky way that the Tech ended up thinking they had won. You know, you think, okay, this could be trouble. But Virginia Tech's added a lot of size and depth, which you talked about. And to your point, they've added a lot of experience, a lot of guys who have played college basketball. And there, there was no panic. There was sort of like, hey, We've been good for two halves of basketball. We've been good enough to beat the number three team in the country. Why not do it for five more minutes? Mike, to your point, Virginia Tech had precious little time to game plan for Villanova. <laughs> because, and, and all credit to Mike Young, you know, the Hokies went to Connecticut. Villanova wasn't on the schedule. Mm-hmm. They were going to be playing Temple. And then they get up there, you know, COVID issues for, for the Owls. And all of a sudden, the tournament organizers say to Virginia Tech, and, and this is Thanksgiving night. It's like at 10 o'clock. <laughs> I don't know if they called Mike or texted him how, how all that went down. But they're like, hey, you know, Villanova's already here. You want to mix and match? And I'm sure Mike Young's like, oh, Villanova. <laughs> yeah, it's a Philadelphia team, but that's a pretty pretty far <laughs> step up from from Temple. And uh, but and he he quickly jumped on it and Jay Wright had no problems with it and all of a sudden at 1:45 a.m. folks are tweeting, "Yeah, what's up, Villanova, let's play." And just you know, amazing how how games are going to come about during this pandemic season so so credit really to both coaches for saying you know what let's lace them up and play and then credit to virginia tech 24 hours later playing south florida you know business-like methodical they didn't exhale 
beat a team that they should have beaten, did so comfortably, led by double digits throughout the second half. I thought that too showed Virginia Tech's maturity. Yeah, if you remember after Michigan State, um, things didn't go so well, right? It's so hard to to get back up. I was really impressed with the South Florida game. And one of the things that stood out to me was Cordell Pemsel from Iowa, mm-hmm. who we had kind of get you know mixed reports on you know we we he's behind Luca Garza and, and that's why he's transferring and he's got a chance to be a really good player but then you look at the numbers and say well yeah he'd, he didn't really do anything to impress me and then the first game he didn't really play a lot of minutes he was big against South Florida and David that's that's very encouraging it absolutely is and let's not forget Mike Jalen Cohn hasn't played a minute mm-hmm. yet not a solitary minute and he's the best shooter in the program. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Mike Young expects him back fairly soon from a left foot injury. You know, add him into the mix, you know, could be a pretty nice club. There's certainly a lot to be excited about uh, for Mike Young for Virginia Tech. Now, I still think there's a ton to be excited about for UVA, for oh, yeah. Tony Bennett's club. Yes. I think they're going to be great this year. But, who oh boy, they were not great <laughs> against <laughs> San Francisco. Uh, David, what did you see, and is it cause for alarm moving forward? No, it's not cause for alarm. Uh, Tony Bennett will, will get that fixed. Now, is Virginia going to have nights – where it doesn't shoot well, sure, all teams do. But the one constant uh, is is defense, and that's supposed to be the one constant. And it was not there against San Francisco. Far too many open looks. Just did not close out well, and that will get fixed. It always does in Charlottesville. And yes, San Francisco is not a big time opponent. Bill Russell's national championships, notwithstanding, <laughs> back in the 50s. Um, but I would have little concern where I am a member of the Cavaliers faithful. I think we've seen that this offense will be better. It's interesting about the defense because you wouldn't think that you know, game two or this early in the year that you would see um, kind of a letdown, right? Defensively, mm-hmm. you would think it would it would still be there. But whatever we're talking about, game one, game two, game three, wherever you are in your season, these guys have already been through a lot, getting back to campus, dealing with the COVID protocols. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that there's maybe a little mental fatigue and a little mental hurdle early in the year, even though that might go against conventional thinking. Yeah, and... and- you know the the game before then their opener up at Mohegan Sun. You know they were just so good on the offensive side against Towson. I mean, almost a point and a half per per possession. I mean, it was crazy how well they shot it from beyond the arc, interior. I mean, everyone was was contributing, and then all of a sudden. You know, the, the, the shots aren't falling and you start looking around and, you know, it's a team that hasn't played together a lot. And sometimes when those shots don't fall, it affects you on the defensive end. It's not supposed to at Virginia. And come February, it probably will not. But I think in late November at Mohegan Sun, it did. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, this is the program. If you think about the way Tony's built this program, uh, there was that Tennessee loss back before <laughs> they really got rolling. And then obviously they took off from there as a program. And obviously everybody knows the UMBC upset. And then they come back the next year and win the national title. Now, 
This is a much smaller scale than that. But this is a program that takes some losses that sting and, and seems to do good things with them. So maybe this San Francisco upset will uh, be the thing that spurs this year's bunch, again, on a smaller scale, onto whatever they become. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a very valid point. And you know, I think the one guy we're all interested to see is, is, he, is Trey Murphy. I mean, no one knew whether he was going to be eligible this year. And it was interesting. I think it was our friend Brad Franklin, who very directly during our media day session with Tony Bennett asked him, has Murphy applied for a waiver and where might that stand? And Bennett tap danced and, <laughs> and he didn't say anything. And I kind of had it in the back of my mind, hmm, wonder what's up there. And then sure enough, I guess the night before the Towson game, they find out, oh, yeah, he he got his waiver. And, you know, he was a shooter at Rice, and he sure as heck was a shooter that first game. And he struggled the other night. But I think he could be a very, very valuable piece. David, we spent the offseason talking about how great offensively UVA could be. We talked about the addition of Sam Hauser and just the the next level we thought this offense would be on. And we did not include this kid in any of those discussions, any of those projections. So if we thought they were going to be really good offensively before he got his waiver, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think I'm that much higher on them now. Yeah, I, I am too. I mean, I... If if we were revoting today on the, the order of finish in the ACC, San Francisco setback aside, I would vote for Virginia. Well, that, that setback does bring us to this week's question of the day. It's who you got. Thanks, Mike. Let's continue talking about some upsets. Uh, we've got San Francisco over UVA, Virginia Tech over Villanova, and don't forget Richmond and their big win over Kentucky. Which was the most significant upset last week? Who you got? Let's start with David. Guys, I think the most significant of the bunch, because I think it could resonate longer throughout the season if we are blessed enough to to get through this and to actually have an NCAA tournament, is Virginia Tech's. And, And that's not to discount Richmond beating Kentucky. But I think all of us or, or, or most folks thought that Richmond was going to be an NCAA tournament club at the start of the season. And boy, the, the Spiders showed the entire country Sunday afternoon in Lexington that they most likely will be just that. I mean, they second half of that game, they just worked Kentucky over. And at one point, led by as many as 16, there was no drama at, at Rupp Arena. Props to, to Chris Mooney and his bunch. But Virginia Tech, that's a non-conference win that if the Hokies are you know sitting there on the bubble come, come March, that's the kind of victory that gets you in the field. I don't know that it will come to that. But to me, that, that's what would make that, that one the most significant. Okay, Mike, who you got? David, I'm glad you picked up the word significant in that question because that was the point. Uh, San Francisco UVA to me was the biggest, <laughs> the, the yes. sort of gasp moment of the weekend. But it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to matter in a couple of weeks. It's it's going to be a footnote. Um, I'm torn between uh, Tech Nova and Richmond, Kentucky, for the reasons you said. I give the slight edge to Richmond over Kentucky, and I'll tell you why. 
I think Virginia Tech has more opportunities on its schedule to prove itself. So Virginia Tech's good. There's going to be plenty of nights that Virginia Tech can show the nation that they're for real. Now, you and I know how good the league is that Richmond plays. And there's some games on their schedule that should matter and should move the needle. But they're not going to move the needle the way winning over Kentucky does. So to me, Richmond's upset was the most significant because it really announced on a more national stage what we have talked about and what we know about here in Virginia, that Richmond's going to be really good, that Chris Mooney's got a really good team this year. Yep, that's that's a great point, Mike. And we we spoke earlier about Virginia Tech being more experienced. You know, the, the Spiders start four seniors. I believe two of them are fifth years. I mean, Jacob Gilliard is one of the best defensive players in the country, and he, he showed it Saturday against Kentucky. He had five steals. He ran the point. He had six assists. He's the reigning A-10 defensive player of the year. He led the nation last season in, in steals per game. And, folks, if you haven't caught the highlight of his assist – there against Kentucky, where he where he swipes a pass, pushes it in front of it, but it's going out of bounds, saves it in midair, and in one motion throws a behind the back pass to a streaking teammate for for a layup. Ah, oh, it was Blake Francis on the receiving end. Just a thing of beauty. It was improv at its finest. Yeah, I don't want to put too much pressure on on Mooney and Richmond, but hey, Virginia mid-majors know a thing or two about big mm-hmm. runs, right, in the tournament. You think yeah. about Mason, you think about VCU, and you know, I, I chuckle, but you think about Mason and VCU, and one of the things those teams both had in common was veteran rosters, guys who had played together, guys who were really comfortable in the system, uh, and, and guys who knew what each other were going to do on the floor, and you know, Richmond's got talent. Let's not pretend that this isn't a good basketball team. They've got talent, but they've also also got that chemistry and that experience and sometimes that can be what matters the most in march absolutely guard play especially mike you mean we, we, we all know that and coaches preach it all the time guard play in march old guards really really help and obviously richmond has a rich history of ncaa tournament success was in the sweet 16 with vcu in san antonio in two, in 2011 uh, the, the the Spiders losing in the semifinals to Kansas and you know, made the Sweet 16 under Dick Tarrant a couple times. So Spiders, no strangers to postseason upsets. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD Podcast channel and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week. Bye.